0: I'm mostly a lurker on here but have considered sharing my story several times now. I was hesitant because absolutely no one knows about this, not my family nor my friends. I've held onto this for over 10 years now and figured it was time to let it out. Plus, I think there are some valuable lessons that can be learned from my experience, so here we go. For reference, I'm a 30 year old female and this story takes place about 13 years ago when I was 17. I had just started university and was excited about having a fresh, new start, since I'd always been a nerdy outcast in high school. I'd never had a boyfriend before, and never even been on a date, so I was naive and optimistic about boys. My introverted and awkward personality hadn't magically changed since entering university, so it's safe to say that I didn't meet any interesting guys at school. Late one night, I was in my room working on an assignment on my laptop when I received a request on MSN Messenger. The email address was a boy's name with some numbers. The name was clearly ethnic, and likely someone of the same origin as me. Intrigued, I accepted. For the sake of the story, we'll call this boy Ken. We got to chatting, and I asked him how he had gotten my email address. He dodged that question. I let it go, not thinking too much of it, This was from a time when it was normal to accept anyone and everyone as a friend on Facebook and other social media platforms. As Ken and I continued to talk, I learned that he lived in my city and apparently wasn't much older than me. As i guessed, our roots were in fact from the same country, let's call it Motherland. I asked him why he didn't have a picture of himself in his display, and this prompted him to suggest that we turn on our webcams because he wanted to see me too. I declined, but he insisted. Somehow, he had convinced me and we both switched on our webcams. I was pleasantly surprised and somewhat relieved to see that Ken was a good-looking young guy, chatting to me from the comfort of his bedroom. Seemingly pretty normal. Our MSN chats carried on for a couple of weeks, they developed into texts and we even had a few phone calls after I had agreed to give him my phone number. I began to develop a crush on Ken, He'd asked me to go out with him a couple of times, but I was always pretty busy with school and our schedules weren't quite lining up. Finally, we found one afternoon when we were both free and decided to schedule a lunch date. Ken had a car and had offered to pick me up from my university after I was done for the day. I was a little too dressed up for my c programming class, but just right for the lunch date we had planned at a local vegetarian restaurant. Stupidly, I didn't tell any of my friends where I was going or with whom because I was embarrassed about going on my very first date, at almost the age of 18. In addition to the fact that it was with someone who had randomly added me on MSN, I waited outside my building when a black car with heavily tinted windows pulled up beside me. The passenger side window rolled down and, sure enough, it was Ken, sitting there in the driver's seat. I was happy to see that he was as cute in person as he was on webcam, however, what I wasn't expecting was the intense smell of weed floating out of the car. Not exactly relevant, but part of the first impression. Admittedly, I was a bit taken aback and was concerned that he might be driving high. He unlocked the doors and motioned for me to get in. So I did, without dispute. As I sat down in the passenger seat and he immediately put his hand on my thigh, I nervously shifted my leg away. So, I started, do you know where the restaurant is? I can guide you if you want. He smirked at me, but didn't say a word. And just began driving okay kind of weird i thought maybe he was just nervous or awkward both of which i could sympathize with so i let it be i was about to try my hand at a little small talk which i know that i'm no good at when i noticed him heading towards the highway ramp i started to worry because the restaurant was not far from my campus and there was absolutely no reason for us to be getting on the freeway um you don't need to take the highway the restaurant's really close by I can guide you, like I said. I tried to keep my voice steady, but I could hear my own nervousness. Ken finally spoke for the first time since I had gotten into the car. I thought maybe we could just go to my place instead. We can play Need for Speed, and I can make some lunch for you. I was 17, on my way to the house of a guy I'd just met for the first time, and I hadn't told anyone where I was going. My mind was racing. I knew that this would be an utterly stupid thing to do, Despite the clear red flags waving right in my face, I decided that I didn't want to ruin our first date by rejecting his offer to make me lunch and play NFS together, which I'd told him I liked playing. So like an idiot, I reluctantly agreed to avoid being rude. We made it to his house. It was apparently his family's home and was situated in a sort of shady neighborhood. We stepped inside and, of course, no one was home except us. It was sparsely furnished and looked unkempt which struck me as pretty odd for being a family home. He informed me that his Xbox was in his bedroom. I hesitated in the doorway, but he sat at the foot of his bed in front of the TV and patted the empty space beside him for me to have a seat. There was literally nowhere else to sit in his room, so I cautiously sat down, keeping as much distance as I could between us. I started to relax as we played NFS, and he made us PB&Js to munch on. I was about to laugh at myself for being overly paranoid, when Ken did something rather bizarre. He got up onto the bed, sat down directly behind me, his legs on either side of me, which was an extremely awkward position thinking back, as he tried to guide my hands on the controller. I started to ask him what he was doing and, as if this wasn't uncomfortable enough, his hands moved from the controller and slid up under my shirt. That's when I really started to panic. I thought he was going to try to grope my chest, but instead he started squeezing and massaging my belly. I was more than a little chubby back then, freshman 15 and then some, so you can imagine what that might have been like. I dropped the controller in pure shock and quickly stood up, fixing my shirt. I was at a loss for words and he did nothing but smirk at me and tell me he liked it. I felt completely disgusted and violated, and I'd had enough. I lied and told him that I had a group project to work on and that I needed to go. He asked where I lived so he could drop me home. Thankfully, I had the sense to not tell him and I asked him to drop me back at school instead where I would supposedly be meeting with my classmates. He obliged without issue. After our very uncomfortable first date, I decided that I didn't want to talk to Ken anymore. I didn't block him on MSN or on my phone, our only two methods of communication but I rarely responded to his messages and I ignored all of his calls. Once he messaged me on MSN around 11pm, asking me to come over and telling me that he would send a cab to bring me over to his place. Thoroughly annoyed, I responded, what do you take me for? Why do you even think that I would want to do that? He replied by saying, no sex, I promise. Just plain bizarre. I was disgusted and didn't even respond. He continued trying to get in touch with me for months, and then suddenly vanished. I figured he'd finally gotten the point. Now, I wish the story ended here, but it doesn't. I last heard from Ken in late February. He had stopped trying to contact me shortly after Valentine's Day. In April, two of my family members and I went on holiday to visit another relative, who we'll call Anne, who was living in the Caribbean at the time. Anne, whom I love dearly, was, and still is, a bit of an eccentric person. She considers herself very spiritual and is an active member of a large, well-known spiritual organization. She is deeply connected with Motherland, more than the rest of us are, and goes back for frequent visits. While we stayed with her in the Caribbean, she told us about her most recent spiritual trip to Motherland, where she met a wealthy and well-connected local woman through the organization who quickly became a very close friend, let's call her Connie. During our visit, Anne introduced us to Connie virtually over Skype, because Connie lives in Motherland. We chatted with her a couple of times throughout our vacation and got to know her just a little bit. Little did we know back then that Connie, who Anne had spontaneously met halfway across the world, would soon wreak utter havoc on our lives. Now that's a story that I'm just not, and may never be ready to tell because of how many lives were affected and the severity of the damage that was inflicted. What you need to know is that Connie was an outright criminal and con artist who had been targeting our family from long before Anne had actually met her. Their meeting was no coincidence. Not only did she manage to steal over $100,000 from our family, but she took any peace of mind or sense of security that we ever had. When we finally caught on and confronted her, she insisted that we were mistaken but disappeared into thin air once we forced her out of our lives. Now, you're probably wondering what on earth this has to do with my story about Ken. Well, get this. The situation with Connie lasted many months. The whole thing is kind of a blur to me now, but we first spoke to her online in April, and I remember the whole ordeal lasting well into the fall. While she normally resided in motherland, Anne had invited her to visit and stay with us where we, my whole family and I, presently live. That's when things really took a turn for the worse. Some of the things I clearly remember, and are important to this story, were that, one, the whole time she was staying with us, she was trying to convince me to transfer schools to a very obscure school and program in the U.S. I guess you can tell from this I don't live in the U.S. And she was actually getting very pushy about it. Two, she had asked me if I was a virgin, and told me to, quote, save myself from my husband. That part was disturbing. During this time I was so emotionally drained and stressed that I didn't really think of anything but the situation at hand. In fact, I had stopped socializing almost entirely and even started habitually skipping classes. I had lost contact with my high school friends and my university friends were too new to really care. So my strange behavior and new destructive habits went pretty much unnoticed. Fast forward to one day after Connie's final disappearance in the fall. I was at home with my dad when my cell phone rang. I looked at the caller ID, and it was a number that I didn't recognize, so it was showing the contact information as whatever name the phone was registered under. My heart dropped into my stomach. My phone displayed a name. The first name was a man's name, and the last name was the same last name as Connie's. I started a panic and ran into my bedroom to answer the call had no idea what to expect. When I picked up the phone, I was greeted by a familiar voice. It was Ken. I honestly thought I was going to puke when I came to a sudden realization that he had been a part of this whole sick plot. Of course, I don't have any hard evidence to prove that he was connected to Connie, but let me explain. The timing of his appearance and reappearance into my life, the last name, a fairly unique surname originating from the part of Motherland where Connie is from, and I had never known Ken's last name until then. And the fact that he had contacted me out of the blue, and I had no idea why or how, were all just too bizarre to be mere coincidences. Of course, I freaked out at Ken when he called, and I told him that if he ever called me again, I would call the police. His response was just a weird, dry, half laugh, and then he said, well, okay then in the most creepy voice you can think of before hanging up. I knew in my gut that this was their last attempt to get back in touch and somehow slither their way back into mine and my family's lives. Thankfully, I never heard from Ken again after that day. A while after all of this ended, I was having a conversation with a family member, who was also closely involved in all of this, about the whole ordeal and she told me she'd sent something extremely wrong when Connie was pushing to have me sent off to the US, to that weird obscure school. She had an unshakable feeling that Connie was involved in some sort of trafficking scene, and that if I left, she would never see me again. The horrifying pieces came together for me at that point, I was just too damn naive to have seen it before. The memories flooded back to me when I heard that, how Ken had told me, no sex, I promise, when he invited me over and how Connie was telling me to remain a virgin. As I said, I had never told a soul about Ken nor about the weird v-card conversation with Connie. I strongly and firmly believed that Ken had been some sort of player in Connie's game and was just there to keep me away from guys and prevent me from having a boyfriend. For those who may be wondering, we never called the police on Connie or Ken because nothing illegal happened at face value. It's very hard to explain. I'll also mention that I tried to find Ken online many times after this all ended. I don't know why, I felt like I wanted to expose him or call him out, and was never able to find even a sliver of information on him, not by the name Ken, nor by the name on the caller ID. It was as if he didn't even exist. Also, I'm awful at directions and didn't remember his address or where his house was exactly. I'm sorry if this story is convoluted or confusing at all. I'm trying to get my point across without giving out any names or too many details, which makes things a bit challenging. I hope that this can serve as a warning to young people to be very selective on who you trust. Do your thorough checks on people, especially those that you meet online, and to be very aware and wary of people's intentions. Also, from this incident onward, I can't stomach a lot of these spiritual organizations I never really liked the idea of them to begin with, but now I've truly experienced how they can attract both vulnerable people and also unsavory characters who are looking for someone vulnerable to prey on. No judgement for those who are into that sort of thing, it's just definitely not for me. I'd like to hear what you all think about this. Do you think my suspicions are plausible? What do you make of it all? Stay safe everyone, and to Ken and Connie, if I see either one of you again, I'm going to kick you square in the face. One evening last year, I was about 15 minutes from finishing the night shift at work, when I hear this massive crash on one of the windows in the office. So I get up and go check it out. Someone had thrown quite a sizable rock through one of the windows on the front of the building. This is made especially weird because I'm working in the industrial district at 1130 at night, with none of the other businesses open. I go back to my desk, put a quick call through to security to let them know, and decide that it's time for me to head home. As I'm leaving the building, I begin freaking myself out about it more and more, and end up running to my car, getting in and taking off promptly. My thought process through all of this was that perhaps the person that threw that stone was still in the area, and I didn't want to be the target for another rock. Or worse. I'm almost home, and I've started to calm down a bit, but that's when I realized that I didn't have to unlock my car to get in. It had been unlocked the whole time. I do a quick check with my hand in the back seat for any possible murderers that might be hanging out, but there's nothing there. Fast forward 30 minutes later, I've arrived home and I've called a friend of mine who says he's out drinking. So I decide that I'm going to go out and join him. I decide to hop on my bike and ride over. That way I wouldn't have to worry about a DUI later in the evening. I'm doodling along the road on my bike. It's a nice night and I'm in no big rush. Just enjoying the moonlight when I hear someone riding up behind me. I straighten up and stick to one side of the road. That's when this man passes me. Really slowly. And when he's right beside me, he shoots me a smile that I can describe as purely f***ing insane. I kind of flinch and I'm taken aback as he rides on. And that's when I realize, he's riding my mom's bike. I stop dead in my tracks, flip a U-turn and head right back home. When I get there, sure enough, her bike is missing from our garage. And one of my car's doors is open. The back left one. I was driving... And I had no need to open that door. So now not only am I wondering if I unknowingly gave somebody a ride to my house to steal my mom's bike, but what if I didn't decide to go out that night? What if I had just been hanging around getting ready for bed? Would they have just taken the bike and left? Or something much, much worse? This had to take place when I was 13 or 14 years old. I was walking a trail with a friend along a lake to go out fishing. After we had completed a blind turn on the trail, my friend paused his stride and asked me if I could see what was up ahead. I didn't know what he was talking about as I didn't see a thing, but as we continued down the path, my friend was obviously getting more and more agitated, and then he told me that I needed to get out my knife. I was confused as all hell and asked him why. He just kept saying, Can't you see it? Can't you see it? We were almost underneath him when I finally saw him. There was a man in his 30s or 40s, looking ragged, worn, and disheveled, sitting in a large birch tree that hung over the trail. About 15 feet in the air was what I would guess. He peered down at us with wide, bulging eyes and a look of excitement on his face. I was hoping you two wouldn't see me," before smirking this absolutely sinister grin. At that point, my friend and I ran faster and farther than I've ever run until we were back on the road. This took place in Marin County, California in either 1989 or 1990. I don't know what that man was doing up there, I don't know why he was trying to surprise a couple of kids, but it still very much gives me the chills to this day.